Welcome to Saga Thing, where we're putting our own selves on trial. I'm John. Our own selves? Why don't you just say ourselves? It's kind of redundant. Uh, but I'm Andy. And maybe that opening is enough to suggest that <laughs> if this is your first time listening to our podcast, then this is probably not the episode to start with. You should go somewhere <laughs> else. Start with, uh, well, let's start with Hrofenkel. Go back to the beginning. Right, right. So normally, uh, what is it we do around here, Andy? Well, normally we read a saga, talk about its action, and then judge the actions of its characters at the saga thing. Right, and we'll be back to that soon. Um, now, of course, we're working on a few side projects as well, which we'll explain more about later. But this, this isn't a normal show. No, this is different. There's no saga, for one thing. Yeah, this uh, this is not going to make a lot of sense without context. <laughs> I, I can't promise it's going to make sense with context, but at least you have a fighting chance. Now, this is the results episode from Saga Thing's second quarter court. Right. Uh, after each group of ten sagas, we conduct the quarter court. We put the categories up for you, the listeners, and you chose the winning witticism, nicknames, best bloodshed moments, and a lot more from our last ten sagas. And mm -hmm. this is our second quarter, so if my knowledge of fractions hasn't left me, that means we are now finished with one-eighth of the Icelandic sagas. Oh, now I know you know that's not true. <laughs> no, we're done with half of the family sagas. There's 20 right. down and 20 to go. Uh-huh. Uh, voting ended on September 30th, which was a few days ago. And now it's time to sift through the wreckage. The wreckage, you say? That's poetic license. Uh -huh. uh, to crown the winners with boughs of laurel. Is that better? <laughs> a little better. Yes, I like that. I like that a lot, in fact. So, uh, how do we proceed here? Well, it's an award show, isn't it? I think it's traditional to begin with a song. But that's not going to happen, since I can't carry a tune in a big bucket. <laughs> so, instead, we should start by thanking everyone who took part in the voting, and those who have actually listened to the show over the last couple of years. Absolutely. And especially thanks to those of you who sent in questions. We are going to answer uh, a few of those in between announcing the results of the voting. Right. Now, as ever, we have seven categories for judgment. Best bloodshed, uh, body count, nicknames, notable witticisms, outlawry, thingmen, and final ratings. Mm -hmm. Now, we talked about body count last time and learned that Njal Saga is the reigning body count champion with a hard-to-beat 221. Uh, but the rest of the mm -hmm. categories have been determined by vote. Right. So are we ready to start? Yeah, I think so. Our first category is... Best Bloodshed. So what we did last time in the, in the first quarter court was we went through the candidates kind of quickly and revealed mm -hmm. the results. And I think that's appropriate here because this is a results episode. There you go. <laughs> Congratulations. Yeah. You've spotted the path forward. Uh, all right. Well, so we had six candidates for best bloodshed. Um, and with the voting completed, the least popular of our six options was the Slaughter of the Innocents from the saga of the Greenlanders. And, you know, given how bloody Freydis's actions were and mm -hmm. how terrible that scene was, I really expected it to get more than 3.77% of this thing. Well, it was the highest body count of the bloodshed candidates. Yeah. Uh, and yet, yeah, only 3.7% of the votes. It's crazy. Uh, our fifth place finisher was Helgi Droplagerson taking a sword to the face. Oh, Helgi. In the saga of the Sons of Droplag. What a wasted effort for him. <laughs> oh, I know. Uh, so apparently getting your lower lip cut off and chewing on your own beard to keep from choking on blood, that's only good for 4.6 of the vote. Right. Well, we'll see if maybe he can do a little bit better in uh, notable witticisms. Maybe. 
Um, now our fourth place contestant, uh, Killer Scooter, leaving a grim snack <laughs> for the midges out on the island. Uh, this is Killer Scooter who d- uh, defeated one of his would-be assassins and then left him to die from exposure out on an island. Mm-hmm. Again, yeah, I thought a great candidate. Uh, good yeah. for only 5.86% of the vote. It's not much, which it, it's, it seems like uh, it, the, this is going to be a very top-heavy vote. It does seem that way, mm-hmm. doesn't it? So what was next? Uh, well, next we have... So now we're in the top three. Uh, our third place finisher, Thord Cormorant uh, riding a spear. Uh, <laughs> well, I, I think the, we put it as the uh, the scrotal piercing, right? <laughs> the scrotal piercing. Yes. Uh, yes, this is the the poor gentleman who Helgi dropped Lagerson transfixed with a spear at the outset <laughs> of the battle. Um, that received a, a, res- a more respectable 14.2% of the vote. Mm-hmm. Now our top two... Uh, are two that I figured would be the top two. Absolutely. But I wasn't sure which way it would go. I think even in the quarter core, we, we suspected that these two mm-hmm. would be the, the top two. And I, I think right. uh, it's just that they are. Right. And so it's our two candidates are the fight on a whale carcass in Greta's saga. Mm-hmm. Uh, this would be Thorgir Bottleback returning the axe to his would-be assassin's head. Uh, and Scarpathen on ice. Right? Scarpathen sliding across the ice and ripping the jaw off of Thrain Sigvison. Now, John, uh, if you had to put axe. if you had to put money on it, which one of mm-hmm. these two do you, would you have thought would win? I would have been pulling for the whale carcass, but I would have put money on Scarpaven. Uh, same here. I, I think we've we've yeah. said before when you think of best bloodshed in the sagas, Scarpaven on ice is kind of the quintessential best bloodshed moment. Absolutely. And so what was our result? Well, the result was, well, let's do one of these, the runner-up. <laughs> ah, yes. If for any reason the Best Bloodshed winner cannot fulfill the duties of Best Bloodshed, our runner-up. Yes, uh, so our runner-up for Best Bloodshed is Scarpe the Njalsson. My goodness. Uh, now, we should say a very respectable 32.2% of the vote. Yes, he, he did well. This was not, yeah, this was a very good uh, c- competition between these two. I am surprised and very pleased that the winner is Thorgir Bottleback fighting on top of a whale carcass. Yeah, I, I agree. Uh, it, it's a wonderful scene. It captures the essence of what uh, what we're all about here at Saga Thing. There's <laughs> <laughs> violence atop a whale carcass. Right. Flensing knives and chunks of blubber flying yeah. back and forth as Thorgir races his way up a dead whale. Yeah, as amazing as Scarpathen's acrobatics are, it, you mm-hmm. just can't compete with whale blubber. No, no. Uh, so congratulations. Well done. Well done. Back. Well done. Well done. So um, we will see him in the uh, fifth court. The fifth. Yeah, yes, fifth we will court. see him in the fifth court several <laughs> years from now. Great. And now before we move on, uh, I thought we'd answer a question from one of our listeners. All right. Um, Andy, why don't you take this first one? So the question is from Stephanie Wiseman. Okay. Uh, and she asks, during your results show, could you weigh in on the female Viking warrior news story that's been going around? Are there any records about Viking funerals, particularly in pre-Christian times? Now, is there any theological basis for the grave goods that would be in there? Mm-hmm. Uh, in short, can you please talk about the notion of female Vikings and pre-Christian funerary practices? Wow, that's a lot. It's a to, big question. That's a lot to cover, Stephanie. I thought we'd start off with a big one. I'm going to give you a very quick answer on the grave goods. Uh, the answer is uh, yes. They they do mean something, and the idea is that they could carry them over into the into the next life, or at least that's what we think is that's all about. But uh, mm-hmm. I think the bigger question here is the uh, the question about the female Viking warrior. 
Uh, I think we all agree that that the idea of a female Viking warrior is, is rather intriguing. Mm-hmm. And many of our listeners probably saw the news going around recently that was claiming that a uh, skeleton found in grave BJ581 from mm-hmm. uh, Burka, Sweden, Burka, yeah. was identified as a woman. Now, this is big news because this particular skeleton was buried with grave goods traditionally found with male chieftains. Now, in fact, the uh, the notion that the skeleton must be male was actually taken for granted simply because of the items that were found with the skeleton. Mm-hmm. Uh, these included a sword, an axe, a spear, there were arrows, a battle knife, two shields, two horses, and gaming pieces. Uh, but the scholars behind the article, A Female Viking Warrior Confirmed by Genomics, examined the nuclear DNA and the strontium isotopes of the skeleton to show that this high-ranking individual was indeed a female. Well, you can't argue with strontium isotopes, Jay. No, it's a- no. <laughs> Uh, now, uh, yeah, and as a humanities professor, you know, uh, I run into those all the time. Right, absolutely. Uh, now, now, if you know anything about academics, then you'll also know we're very rarely happy, especially with uh, <laughs> firm answers. So a, a while back, we posted a response to this article by Judith Jesh, uh, professor of Viking studies at University of Nottingham in England. Mm-hmm. And I think it's fair to say that Dr. Jesh was less than impressed by the findings of the article. Uh, among I think that's the more, a fair statement. <laughs> among the more important critiques she leveled against the authors of the Female Viking Warrior article was the possibility that the bones examined were not the same ones found in the grave BJ581. Mm-hmm. See, the graves at Burko, uh, where 581 was discovered, uh, those were exhumed in the 1880s. That's a long time ago, and archaeology has yeah. come a long way since then. So there's apparently been some confusion about which bones go with which grave. Right. Uh, she also points out that the presence of the rather yeah. masculine grave goods they, they, they don't necessarily mean that the individual was a warrior. And I, I think we've seen in, in discussions of sword stuff uh, mm-hmm. that the swords, while fancy looking, weren't actually always useful swords. Right. Um, in fact, very flimsy swords, not really the swords of warriors. So they're sometimes status symbols. So it's fair to say, uh, according to Judith Jesh, that this woman may have been a high status individual, but mm-hmm. nothing really to indicate that she was an active participant on the battlefield in the grave. Right. Now, now, we've seen in the sagas when we've seen um, grave robbing going on and people stealing weapons from graves, right? we're talking about a different kind of burial, a different kind of weapon. Mm-hmm. Um, there are all kinds of things that are being buried with, uh, with the dead, especially with high status people when they die, that are specifically designed for the grave. Not just weapons, but uh, drinking utensils, uh, clothing, that kind of thing, that are specifically made for burial. That's right. Uh, so um, it's th- those ornamental swords would be part of an entire kind of uh, mini industry in creating grave goods. Quite right. And I think I read somewhere that uh, when they do put in nice uh, swords and things like that, mm-hmm. sometimes they will they will chip them or damage them so that grave yes. robbers won't come in and, and take the stuff. Right. Um, we could talk about this for a very, very long time. Uh, it would take, in fact, a whole episode just to scratch the surface of such a fascinating topic. Um but that's why we've been working on setting up an interview with mm-hmm. Charlotte Haydenstierna Johnson. Uh, she's the lead author of the article that sparked all this recent debate. Uh, so if all goes well, that should be happening sometime in the next month or so. And we can answer right. all these questions in a lot more detail. Uh, and we can even have an expert's voice on the subject. Absolutely. Uh, so depending and on how difficult it is to get our schedules to line up, you can look forward to that. <laughs> um, it uh, should be a lot of fun. I know one of the things I want to talk to her about, uh, having now spent a grand total of six days at an archaeological dig, um, I don't know how anyone ever gets the bones right. Uh, yeah. This idea that it's very difficult to get to know which bones came from which graves. 
I absolutely understand. I mean, I was astounded by how much documentation goes on just to to identify a single like bone or a single even shard of bone or a tooth. Yeah. Um, and that's, I mean, you know, even then there's a great deal of we think we are pretty sure um, yeah. because just because of the way bones get moved around in the earth and that sort of thing mm-hmm. uh, that the the fact that there's any kind of reliable data out of Burka when you're dealing with 130 some odd year old uh, documentation is astounding. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, uh, I mean, as hard as things were for you guys to uh, figure things out at uh, you're at Lindisfarne, right? Yeah, well, I should say, it wasn't hard for the people I was with. No, it's hard They're for professionals. <laughs> I'm the dope who was having trouble. <laughs> You're finding chicken bones they, for lunch. Right. They knew what they were doing. All right. So, again, look forward to that uh, interview with uh, Charlotte Hayden Starna Johnson. It should be a lot of fun. Excellent. What's our next category? Nicknames. In our nicknames category, we always have John highlight the best and most interesting nicknames in the sagas. And right. this, but there's no actual work to do this time, so I'm going to kick back and let you do it. It's a lovely time for you, yes. Uh, we <laughs> had, uh, again, six candidates in this one, and we asked you to vote on them. Uh, I'll go through them from the, the, the weakest vote-getter to the strongest. Now, but, of course, it's an honor just to be nominated. It is. These are the best of the best we should mm-hmm. have had. Um, but the worst of the best <laughs> is Thormod Stickstarer from the Saga of the Aww. People of Vopnafjord, who only earned 8.23%. Oh, I'm sorry. Yes. That's very sad. It is. Um, now, the next one will shock you because this one also received just roughly 8.6%. Mm-hmm. And it was the Dung Beardlings. I am utterly shocked. Me too. Uh, I thought that uh, the Dung Beardlings would be beforehand. Sorry, that should have played well. I thought that was going to be one of our top two vote getters. Um, I would think so too. I would have. I would have. If I were putting money at the start of this, I probably would have put it on them to win. Yeah, but uh, they didn't. In fact, they they performed very poorly. <laughs> but dung beardlings, people, they have dung beards. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh. the the next one uh, goes way back. It's Thorolf mm-hmm. Sledgehammer from Vatnsdala Saga. Uh, it's a personal favorite. He came in with a paltry eleven point seven. Percent, but that's all right. He's got his kitties to keep him company. He does. He does. Uh, up next, uh, so now we're in the top three. Mm-hmm. So in third place is Thorgrim Skin Suit from uh-huh. the Saga of Droplog Sons, <laughs> with fourteen percent. Right, which is probably about right. <laughs> it is. It is. And you know what? To be honest with you, I looked back at that. Uh, you know, I was listening to that episode after mm-hmm. editing it. I looked into that nickname after listening to our spiel about mm-hmm. it. I think it's just Skin Cap, John. <laughs> I mean, after all of that, I'm going to retract everything that, that we concluded and, and go back nah. to. It's just skin cap. Nah, I'm sticking by it. Well, I'm glad you didn't win because I think it's uh, I think it's it was a... some sloppy scholarship there. <laughs> but uh, now we have our, our top two. And it it was a it was a horse race between. It was. Thor, Thorgir Buttering from the Saga of the People of Rekdal and Killerskuta mm-hmm. and uh, Ivar Beitil. From Gretir Saga. Now, I, I can't yes. recall what Beitil means. Can you remind me? Um, it has to do with either fescue grass uh, or possibly the member of a male horse. Ah, the member of a male horse. Yes. What a politic uh, way to put it. <laughs> yes. Um, a horse cockerel, if I can stick with uh, farm animals. All right. Well, uh, I was fairly certain that, especially watching the votes as they came in, 
that uh-huh. Ivar Baytil would would take this one pretty handily, yeah. despite and our love the- of Thorgir buttering. Right, and by the way, uh, those of you who were pushing Ivar up in the voting early on, uh, do you just hate us? <laughs> do you just want us to have to say that name over and over again? Is that the idea? <laughs> I think that's what's going on there. Um, but our runner-up, we right. should get to the uh, the, right. the decision here. The runner-up in this category was Ivar Beitil. Oh, thank goodness. Which means I was that- afraid our voters were going to go off half-cocked. <laughs> oh, which means that our good friend Thorgair Buttering finally wins something. Hey! I don't know if Buttering. this is... I'm delighted. I'll tell you this. I don't know that it's a really great choice, but I'm very happy with it. <laughs> I think it's a fantastic choice. Um, I still enjoy the recipe that we found for Viking bread. Uh and I very much like the idea of a guy whose only claim to fame is that he likes bread and butter for breakfast. <laughs> well, who doesn't? <laughs> so good job, Thorgir Buttering. We will see you in the fifth court. Absolutely. So our, our second question comes from Per Milam, who wants mm. to know how academia is receiving the show. He writes, I'm an uh, academic as well and follow one podcast in my discipline, which is philosophy. But I'm always interested to hear how a profession that wrongly privileges journal publication above all else responds to new ideas like this. I hope the answer is positive. <laughs> oh, boy. Well, thanks, Per. Uh, first of all, I couldn't agree more. Um, I I do write for academic publication as well, as does Andy. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I don't see that as a better venue or process than podcasting. Uh, it's a different venue. It's got different reasons for being. Um, I'm, I'm a big proponent of podcasting as a professional academic activity. Uh, because of its potential reach, honestly. I mean, every time we produce an episode, we have the chance to share our ideas, our knowledge, our enthusiasm with thousands of people who share that interest. That's right. Uh, and I also get to learn from you guys, from the listeners, from your areas of knowledge. Uh, and we've, we've come to be part of a community of people who all have something to say and to teach each other about sagas and their subjects. It's fantastic. I mean, we've created a worldwide classroom here. Oh, it's a lot uh, of fun. And finally, I mean, this work for us is about promoting the reading of a literary tradition that I at least think is hugely important to Western writing and is a lot of fun at the same time. And this is the right venue for that. Scholarly publication is not a way to reach that wide of an audience. Um, To answer the first part of the question, though, uh, how academia is receiving the show. uh, My experience on my campus has been mostly positive. Uh, My university seems bemused but supportive of the podcast. Mm -hmm. Uh, I even received a small grant this past year to fund a research and conference trip for the podcast. Uh, I don't know whether any of my colleagues actually listen to this, uh, but they do seem to appreciate what we're doing, at least on an intellectual level. Uh, At conferences, I haven't experienced much of a reaction from older scholars. Uh, From people of sort of our generation or younger, I've mostly been asked, about how other people can do what we're doing. Absolutely. Uh, that there's a lot of interest in doing it, but a lot of uncertainty about sort of how you go about doing it, what the, you know, sort of the tech stuff, mm-hmm. first of all. Which is why you and I have gone to a couple of conferences now and, and presented on exactly that subject. Absolutely, right. Uh, but then also the question of, you know, how do you present this back to your your uh, university, your administration, when it comes to explaining your work? Mm-hmm. Uh, I, for me, the main part of the answer is just, get really, really interested in whatever you're going to be podcasting about because these things take up a lot of time and energy. Uh, fortunately, since you know most academics are professional obsessives with, with experience speaking to groups, we already kind of have most of the skill set you need to podcast successfully. Yeah. 
Uh, so really the question then is just you know presenting it to the people you work with, showing that enthusiasm, sharing it, and understanding how to walk that line between the work that you're doing for the podcast and the work that indicates professional outreach and development. That's right. Um, so yeah, well, I, I would agree with almost everything that you said there in terms of how this is received more broadly, especially by, I would say, graduate students and scholars that are yeah our right. age or, or below. Um, yeah. In terms of how academia itself receives the podcast right now, I would say that, at, at least on my campus, it is not received as a serious endeavor. Um, mm-hmm. When I went up for tenure, it was not considered as one of the things that they would even think about a part of that was because they didn't have language in their handbook um, to deal with it it doesn't count as an article Um, they don't have anything for public outreach it doesn't count for service Um, so what exactly is it Um, so they were left uh, by the the writing of their own handbook with no way to to deal with it so if you are someone who is who is an academic and interested in pursuing podcasting one of the things i would encourage you to do before you go up for tenure would be to uh, talk to your uh, department and see if you can get some language or see if there's some flexibility Mm -hmm. in the language that would allow it to be counted uh that that said too or at my university they don't take digital humanities terribly seriously uh Uh more broadly so those uh who have come before me doing digital humanities projects um always have a little bit of difficulty getting tenure Mm -hmm. so it's uh, a cautionary tale but uh (laughs) but one that i think is is well worth uh you know i think podcasting is well worth your time uh Mm -hmm. not only because of the context that you can get out of it and the enjoyment that you can get out of it but in terms of scholarship, I, I, I keep finding new subjects to explore. Um, you'll mm-hmm. hear about uh, another one in, in just a moment. Um, so I, you can do the academic thing. You can walk that line. Um, the only problem is that the podcasting itself does take it, it does take an incredible amount of time uh, mm-hmm. that you could be writing articles with. But uh, it's so much more fun. Right. <laughs> uh, and one last thing is that if, uh, if you're considering a podcast – uh, and your school is more like Andy's than mine. And mine is actually quite open to digital humanities and supportive of it. Uh, but if you are at a campus that doesn't, consider whether what you're doing can be um, couched as a pedagogical tool uh, rather than scholarly production. Right? Uh, a flipped classroom, for example, uh, which is you know, in some ways what this podcast began as. Mm-hmm. Uh, that you find that there's language like that in pedagogical circles rather than in academic or scholarly circles uh, that allow you to couch what you're doing in a podcast in ways that your committee might be able to understand. So I hope that uh, gives you some food for thought, Pear. Um, If you're interested in pursuing podcasting, I highly encourage it because I would love, I really would love to hear more academics sharing their expertise through podcasting. We are curious people and we love to learn. (laughs) I want to learn from the best. And now, I mean, I really do feel that, that we're hopefully within a decade, we could be looking at the possibility of an all academic podcasting conference mm-hmm. uh, that I think it is something that's growing. It is something that's building. Uh, and we're really only a few years away from enough of us being on the other side of the tenure desk to where this is really going to start being something that's acceptable. Absolutely. All right. But enough about that. Uh, I think yep. it's time we go to our next category. Notable witticisms. Uh, once again, we had six candidates in this category. We we seem to have uh, lost a yeah. little bit of our self discipline this time out. We, we, we kept sneaking sneaking an I, extra in there, didn't we? We did. Uh, I blame this you. This time out, oh, you blame me. I'll oh, thank you. Yeah. Uh, this time out, I would say the voters spoke with a loud voice and told us to stop messing around. Uh, 
uh, <laughs> because we we decided to add um, a witticism that really wasn't a witticism at all. It was a um, an involuntary or perhaps voluntary uh, expulsion of gas from a frightened lad. I think in it was the saga of Drop Loud Sons, <laughs> um, a little boy who uh, cracks a rat, uh, cuts some cheese. Uh, when he's kicked at by a person whose board game he upset. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that received a mere 4.5% of the vote, uh, which I think is a pretty clear indication to us that the voters did not agree with us that it belonged in this category. No, and I, I agree with them. That's fair. That's it was fair. just a good opportunity to talk about the fart sure, again. Sure, absolutely. Um, I you know Sometimes we're just doing this because it's a gas. Uh, oh. Now, our fifth place finisher... Uh, was Thorgrim from Vigland Saga uh, welcoming home his son and daughter mm-hmm. uh, when his two sons entered the room. Um, now, that received 5.02% of the vote, so just one vote more than yeah. uh, than Droplog Sons. I'm just curious, you know, it's so long ago since we did Vigland Saga that if That's it's possibly true. people just don't remember that one very well. Uh, it's, it's possible there's an advantage to the more recent sagas. Yeah. Um, but I don't really know if we can do anything about that. Uh, nor shall we try. Uh, <laughs> uh, our uh, fourth place finisher, uh, Gretter Asmunderson from Gretter's Saga, uh, with his, uh, what you termed his grower, not a shower poems. Yes. Um, his they were poems, very clever. Well, his poems about his possibly inadequate manhood uh, and his relatively large uh, other parts uh, received 12.79% of the vote. Now, that surprised me because I know that our too audience... Too high or too low, you think? Well, <laughs> I think our audience isn't terribly mature, just like us. And <laughs> they're good poems. I'm sorry. I can't... Have you insulted us and our listeners all in one fell swoop there? Is that what's going on? That's right. We're all in the same oh, boat dear. together. Oh, dear. Uh, I but, disagree. Uh, yeah. I think that this voting result shows that they, like we, are in fact sophisticates. Well, I guess I'm not in that group because I'm the one that added the fart and <laughs> I thought the Grower Not a Shower poems were fantastic. There you go. It didn't even place. Nope. Shocking. Uh, but what did place, third place, uh, is, which I suppose is show, really, uh, would be Yokel Ingemundersen, uh threatening to render a legal case void with his axe hammer mm. in Vatnsdala Saga. I'm pleased that that one got some recognition. Mm-hmm. Uh, about 16% of the vote there. Yeah, not a flashy line, but a fun no, one. No, which means our top two vote getters are Scarpaven's uh, eating of a mar- mare's ass insult to Thorkel Bully. Yes. In Hel- in uh, Njal Saga. And Helgi Drop Lagerson's I've never been beautiful and you haven't made much of an improvement uh, after having his face caved in by a sword in the yes. saga of Drop Lag's sons. Now, once again, if I'm a betting man, Mm-hmm. Scarpathen should have this. I I would have thought so. I mean, we, at one point, I think we even contemplated uh, renaming the Nobelism category the Scarpathen. Yeah. Um, maybe we chose the wrong insult to use as his example because Scarpathen came in second place. He's the runner-up. Uh, with 22.8% of the vote, which means our I winner, can... with an astounding 38.8% of the vote, is Helgi Drop Lagerson? I've never been beautiful, and you haven't made much of an improvement. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm happy for Helgi. Uh, I guess I'm very confused by that result, but uh, you know, I'm, I'm going to go with it. I think it makes some sense to me because if we're talking about notable witticism, Scarpe then is just insult. He's just offering an insult, right? Mm-hmm. So I think maybe we did choose poorly in terms of which mm-hmm. 
representative of Scarpathan's many witticisms we we had. Helgedra Blogerson is offering a legitimate witticism. He was just hit in the face, and he right. has the wherewithal to to give us something funny to you know? slur out a club. Yeah, line. I mean that's what the category is really mm-hmm. about. So I'm not I'm I'm surprised because Scarpathan's so clever. Yeah. But I'm not surprised because in terms of what a notable witticism really is, Helgi's got it in spades. Fair enough. Fair enough. Mm-hmm. Um, so congratulations to Helgi Dreplagerson. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, um, we have another question. Okay. Uh, Andy, uh, Katie from Alabama asks, uh, you've talked about how Vikings, when they're referred to as such, are generally portrayed as bad guys in sagas. But I can think of multiple examples you've mentioned in the podcast where retired Vikings are mentioned in a positive light. I know you often praise the sagas for portraying moral complexities of life, but there seem to be explicitly bad stock character Vikings, like the ones in the saga of Droplog's Sons. So are these bad Vikings bad solely because they're attacking characters we care about, or was there a code for what was acceptable of Vikings specifically and what wasn't? Uh, well, here's what I'll say about this. Mm-hmm. Um, I threw out that idea on a whim that uh, Vikings, when referred to in sagas, are typically bad just because... At that exact moment when we were talking, it, it occurred to me. And I don't have much of a filter. <laughs> but since saying don't that... Don't you really? <laughs> but since saying that, I, I decided to test that theory. Mm-hmm. And I went into the, the sagas in the original and started digging through and doing a word search for all the times that Viking shows up. Mm-hmm. I am just more than halfway through collecting all of these examples. And how's that working out so far? It's working out brilliantly in terms of confirming my suspicion. Ah. Almost every time, not every time, almost uh-huh. every time that a Viking is introduced, the idea is that we are intro- we are we are meeting a bad guy. Mm-hmm. He's surly. He's someone who is difficult to get along with. So it's almost like in the majority of the sagas, when we get that guy, we know that this is uh-huh. a troublesome character. Now, I can see why you might throw Ale as an example out there because he's the mm-hmm. protagonist of that story. But even right. he, I think it's fairly clear throughout his story, he's a problematic, at least a complex character. Yeah. He's known for his orneriness. He is a classic difficult man to get along with, right? Uh, but now when you talk about negative portrayal of Vikings, um, is how much that is tied to the term Vikings? Uh, I'm thinking of uh, Gunnar's career in Yal Saga. Right. Gunnar mm-hmm. goes out raiding for multiple years in the saga. Yes. Uh, but is portrayed largely positively. And I don't recall him ever actually being called a Viking. No. Uh, now, is sometimes. It more that the term Viking is prejudicial than yes. that the profession is prejudicial? Uh, I think both. Now, I, there is something to the idea that some characters who go out raiding, mm-hmm. um, those characters, it's very, it's very rare. But those characters, there's no judgment necessarily placed on them. Uh-huh. It just says he goes out raiding and it's uh, Ibn yeah. Um Now, I'm going to write this up as an article, I think, because it, it's quite fascinating because it does seem to suggest that at least by the 13th century or the 14th century when these things are being written, mm-hmm. that the term Viking has a negative connotation to it. Right. Um, again, not every single time because there are several characters who, uh, who go raiding. But a lot of times even those characters get themselves in trouble. Mm-hmm. So, I, you know, I'm not going to go through a whole list of examples. You're just going to have to wait for the article to come out. Um, but I think you'll, you'll be quite surprised at just how many of them, mm-hmm. uh, what, even when you expect them to be good, end up doing something that is uh, somewhat questionable. So the, 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 easy, the easy answer here is that the, the term Viking, I think, is very similar to the, the concept of pirate. 
These mm-hmm. are people that are hanging out in the uh, the inlets of small islands, right. and they are men who are interested in raiding and robbing and cheating, and that's their reputation. That's sometimes a good thing if they're not attacking the attacking you, mm-hmm. you know. <laughs> but uh, but more often than not, they're 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 viewed as disruptive figures. Right. And the more honorable thing to do when you're going overseas and and going about is to go to a king's court, become part of his retinue. And defend the land and do honorable things, not to right. go raiding randomly. Although there are occasional raids, they're done at the king's side and therefore they're sort of punitive uh, yeah. rather than being disruptive. That's right. So again, not a not a, a thorough and uh, amazing answer, but uh, I think the numbers you'll see uh, bear out my claim mm-hmm. that Viking is negative, not Excellent. positive. You should, you should say things about thinking about them more often. <laughs> I do. It usually gets me in trouble. <laughs> All right, on to the next. Outlawry. Now, the outlawry category for the results episode is one that I was really looking forward uh-huh. to because I legitimately had no idea what our listeners would pick here. <laughs> I think there's a really good argument to be made for every single one of these characters to be the outlaw. I absolutely you know? agree. Full disclosure here, I personally voted for Hogarth Longlegs. <laughs> Who'd you vote um, for? I didn't think we were allowed to vote. Yeah, we're allowed to vote. We, In fact, in the first quarter quarter. No, we, no. I I voted. Um, I voted I voted for Morth Valgudson. Ah, interesting. Uh, well, here, here's what's really fascinating about this. We're going to go slightly out mm-hmm. of order now because they were yes. talking about this. Yes. You and I debated whether or not to lump them into a single category more than Holgeth yes. together. And we elected to put them separately because I was fairly certain that Holgerth could take this category. Right, and I felt the same way about Morth. But uh, <laughs> they ended up each getting 21.6% right. of the Right, they vote. canceled each other out. They uh, tied. They, they collectively, so, together they would have won uh, or yeah. might have won. But separately, they canceled each other out. Uh, well, I wouldn't have accepted a, a, well, a joint victory. It just wouldn't feel right. That's, uh, and, and that is why you fail. Well, I, th- I think once again, our listeners have shown that we don't know what we're talking about. <laughs> or maybe that we're too stubborn for our own good. <laughs> yeah, right. Now, uh, I should uh, go mm-hmm. backwards now. Thorbjorn Hook from Gretchen Saga. We should say that, we should so- just say that uh, those two tied for second place. Yeah, yeah, that was second yes. place, wasn't it? Oh, they could. Oh, what could have Absolutely. been, John? Now, in last mm-hmm. place was Thorbjorn Hook from Gretcher right. Saga. He's the guy that uh, hunted Gretcher down and used a little bit of sorcery mm-hmm. to uh, to get his uh, man and killed um, his own his own got, foster mother uh, with a uh, game piece. Uh, that's yeah. right. Yeah, not a yeah, great no. guy, but he got nine point eight six percent of the vote, uh, so he came mm-hmm. in last. Uh, Thorvald Mothskeg from the saga Finbogi uh, the Mighty. He is the killer of Finbogi's two right. young sons. Uh, he got twelve point six eight percent of the vote. Uh, he did okay. Uh, but up against the Giants, Morth, and this, Holgerth. This and really was a rogues this, gallery, wasn't it? <laughs> it's just awful people. They're terrible. Uh, but the winner, and I think very deservedly uh-huh. so. And I know you're, you're probably not going to be happy about this. <laughs> it's uh, Freydis Eriksdalter from the Saga of the Greenlanders with uh, 34%. Yeah, why would I not be happy with that? Obviously, I would have I well, be- liked to have seen Morth win, but I think uh, Freydis is a perfectly legit candidate. Well, I was thinking that you were going to critique this choice because, again, she's not actually in Iceland when she commits right, these well, crimes. Right, well, that's technicality, but... Um, no, once we let her in, once we accepted that she'd been outlawed in the saga, she was a legitimate candidate. I agree. And, uh, and of course, it's a saga that's not set right. in Iceland. So what right. are we supposed to do? And of course, do? she murders Icelanders. Uh, so it's certainly a crime exactly. against Mother Iceland. 
<laughs> exactly. <laughs> good, good. So, um, congratulations, Freitas. That's right. So we'll see you again in the fifth court. Mm-hmm. Bring your axe. <laughs> yeah. Our next question is about sagas and literacy from Ken from Cornell. Ken has noticed that when we talk about the sagas, we often talk about them as literary texts that can be that can be and and were read. Uh, he points out that most of medieval Iceland would have been illiterate and unable to read the sagas. He he also suggests that the sagas would have been oral compositions exclusively for hundreds of years before they were written. Now, we're, we're going to address the oral composition thing in a moment, um, and I think we'll take issue with how long ago um, the sagas were written. But uh, why don't you address the, the issue of were they uh, read, that, that question of right. when we talk about reading? Um, well, the fact is, and, and um, thank you, Ken, uh, the... When we talk about reading in the Middle Ages, we're almost always talking about something that involves a component of oral, whether whether read or recited, uh, in the in the literature, right? because most reading in the Middle Ages was done aloud, uh, and often one person reading for an audience, uh, and so the the process of reading always involves or almost always involves some element of orality. Uh, mm-hmm. So yeah, we use reading as a term of convenience. But it often, when medievalists are speaking about reading, we're often using it as a blanket term to describe any way by which a story is imparted to its audience. Absolutely. Uh, which is a kind of a convoluted way of saying that, uh, yes, we use reading very loosely. <laughs> uh, probably, <laughs> probably more loosely than we should when we're talking to a non-specialist audience. That's right, yeah. Yeah, and uh, in terms of the the oral composition stuff and when the sagas were mm-hmm. written, that kind of thing, uh, we'll address that in our next question because you're not the only one, mm-hmm. Ken, who was interested in that. Right. One. So we'll get to that in a right. moment. Uh, but you're absolutely right, Ken. That when when we're talking about the sagas, uh, it's it's likely, uh, and of course we can only ever say likely with this kind of thing, but it's likely that we're talking about texts that would have been read to a group of listeners. Uh, and so you have both a person reading from text and then also people hearing, listening. Uh, so mm-hmm. the answer to your question is yes. <laughs> <laughs> Thingman. All right. Now, before we get started on the Thingman category, um, we want to bring up a question that was posted in the head-to-head poll for best Thingman. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. Go ahead. We should address this. Uh, right, yeah, we had a comment from Sarah Jones uh, criticizing my decision to take Greta as Munderson as Thingman because of the episode with the servant woman. Right, now, this led to a, a bit of discussion on the polls, and I think rightly so. Uh, this is the part when uh, the servant woman finds uh, Gretcher sleeping naked in the farmhouse and mocks his undersized penis. And Gretcher then speaks a couple of verses in defense of his genitalia, uh, and then he grabs the servant woman uh, as he finishes one of the poems. Right. And Sarah thought it was inappropriate for one of us to choose Gretter because of his grabbing of the woman and the sex or rape which follows. Mm-hmm. And I should be clear, I'm not equating those two things in any way. My point is that it's one or the other, but there's a fair amount of debate as to which it is. Yeah. And even the ambiguity argues for an act of sexual violence, I think. Sure. Um, at least from a modern perspective. And I think that's the important thing. From a modern perspective, this episode reads uh, differently. Uh, mm-hmm. But but we had comments on both sides of the issue, so you want to yeah, hit those? And, yeah, and thanks very much for those of you who participated in that conversation. Uh, now, those different points of view that came up were pretty reflective of the scholarship around the episode. Yeah. Uh, to take up Sarah's point first, uh, Frederick Lundqvist uh, makes a strong argument in favor of reading this scene as a rape and uses it to, as an example of the contemporary attitude towards sexual violence against women. Uh, Ruth Mazakaris uh, takes a similar line 
but emphasizes that this is a sexual encounter in which the servant woman's consent is, as she says, irrelevant to the action of the story. Yeah. For Karis, the significant point is that it is the servant, not the woman of the house, who's attacked. Quote, women of the lower class are available to men of the upper class. Mm-hmm. Now, that actually seems to dovetail a bit with the comment from a different listener, Heather, who read this as a class issue and a consensual act. Right. Uh, but a number of scholars don't actually see those points of view as mutually exclusive. Yeah, it's it's been a while since my last trawl through Gretchen's scholarship, but uh, I, I remember that Bernard Scudder makes a similar point. For him, this is a clear case of rape. But he puts it in the context of the same sort of sexually violent humor that you find in Boccaccio's Decameron, and I think that's that's a really yeah. good point. Yeah, so what we're talking about here is Fabliau humor. Exactly, and I, and I think anyone who's been in a medieval lit class and read Chaucer mm-hmm. or, or read Fabliau or studied Fabliau, you would know that a majority of what you find in medieval humorous Fabliau tales uh, is inappropriate, vastly, deeply inappropriate for modern yes. audiences. Yeah, and I th- a clear majority of scholars take this side of the issue, right? That this is either a, uh, a case of uh, a sexual attack, a rape, or sexually bawdy humor right, of the Fablio style. Mm-hmm. Uh, on the other hand, Athelé, the Guggen's daughter, argues that the circumstances make a reading of rape what she calls debatable. The situation is far from clear, and the saga's typical glossing over of sexu- sexual detail means that the degree of consent is unknowable. Which is a good point. Uh, Right, and most sexual encounters, she suggests, are hidden from the reader in Icelandic writing. Yeah, so the question is whether the implication of sexual violence is something the author intends or something that we infer as modern readers. And I I think that's quite interesting. Exactly. Um, Now, William Short seems to agree with Goodman's daughter. He reads this as a story about an exchange of body insults, Mm -hmm. the servant and Greta exchanging bold statements about his manhood. Uh, the scene centers for him on the lack of privacy in an Icelandic longhouse. Uh, and like Goodman's daughter, Short argues that there isn't enough in the text to support a conclusion that the servant woman is willing or unwilling. Yeah, it's still either way. It's still hard to say whether there is or isn't a violent act going on, though. Sure, but I would say there's definitely more than enough of a suggestion of violence to make us uncomfortable from a modern perspective. Oh. Uh, and I, I do think this saga author is very aware of the cultural prevalence of violence against women. Remember, there's a scene earlier in this saga where Gretter outmaneuvers and kills several berserks who are planning on violating the women of a farm where Gretter is staying. Mm. And, well, and Gretter's the good guy there. So, right. Uh, well, at, at the very least, what we can say is that it's a complicated text and Gretter yeah. is a complicated figure. He is. And I do wish we'd handle that situation with more tact in the original episode. Yeah. I think uh, we're a bit but, clumsy there. Yeah, I think so. Um, And we apologize for that. But we've decided that we both have to live with the Thingman choices we made. And so I've kept Greta as a Thingman. Uh, I'm willing to give up Thorstein the Fair if need be. (laughs) (laughs) Um, You you drop Greta, I'll give up Thorstein the Fair, and we're even. That's a a tempting offer. Uh, No. Uh, I, I think we should also acknowledge that there's a problem of the fact that many of the people we've chosen over the course mm-hmm. of the saga, and in fact, many of the episodes that we've been discussing, they're, they're, they're not kosher by modern standards. Many right, of the people, crimes. Yeah, many of the people in the, uh, the sagas that we've, we've looked at are committing crimes of some sort by mm-hmm. modern standards. So I, I hope we don't necessarily come across as condoning the, you know, every action of these figures when we consider them for Thingman. It's a distressing thought, really. Um, it is. Okay. So, uh, having said that, on to the big enchilada, the Thingman results. Oh, yes. So, this time out, uh, when Andy and I put up our Thingman, we said that we thought this was going to be a very close race. Yeah. Uh, and uh, it turned out to be exactly that. 
It was extremely uh, close. We got uh, some comments occasionally asking if yeah. if the thing was broken, <laughs> like because we were so often at exactly 50, time. 50, yeah, yeah. Uh, and now uh, it fluctuated on a daily basis by mm-hmm. one or two points. I right. think uh, every once in a while, one of us would go up by like nine or ten or something like that. But then it would go right, right back to the to the to tide. So right it, it came me. down to the very last day mm-hmm. on this one, uh, and apparently. On that last day, uh, my supporters must have been off doing something more important uh, because (laughs) in those final hours, Andy pulled ahead and pulled off a win by a grand total of four votes, winning 50.8% of the vote to to my 49.2. I'll say this. I was camping with my son with the Cub Scouts uh, when when the votes were closing down. Uh, I went to bed just slightly before midnight Mm -hmm. that night. And I was in my tent and I turned on my phone and I looked and I went to bed with a smile with the hope that Will Beal and his cronies wouldn't come in here and ruin the thing. <laughs> well, so, it's a one thing man, one vote, I'm afraid. So Yeah, well. Unfortunately, now, my, my vocal supporters couldn't, uh, couldn't throw the vote for me. Oh, well. You know, I, I have a couple things to say about this. One, yes. thank you to all of you who voted for, for my group. I know it's not a vote for me. And here's how it's, I know it's, it's not a vote. It's most certainly not a vote for you. No. I know it's not a vote for me because I know people in my own family voted for you. Well, that might actually be a vote about you. <laughs> no. my Here's what my sister-in-law said. I was mm-hmm. I was enraged when I heard this. She said she thought that I have the better group of Thingmen. But that you spoke better at the uh, the quarter court, and so she voted for you. And I thought that is the most illogical reasoning I've ever heard. I don't think that's true. Um, if we're, I made we're not, a better case that deserves. We're something. not weighing each other's uh, oration skills. We are weighing the the thing. Spoken, spoken like someone with inferior oration skills. <laughs> uh, and for the record, my wife won't tell me how she voted, which uh, leads me to believe that oh, she may have been on your side. Uh, I seriously doubt that. Um, <laughs> <laughs> now, I uh, I took the uh, liberty of listening to our first quarter court recently, just uh-huh. kind of get a, a refresher on on how the results yeah. episodes worked and uh, the good old the good old days. Uh, now, you you did win the Thingman section, yes. uh, in the first quarter court. Uh-huh. Uh, you won by ten percent, uh, but I, I want to remind you that we had a no <laughs> a no violence option in there, and something like sixteen percent of people voted for that. Uh-huh. Which means yeah, I would have gotten some of those, I think, is what the argument is here. It was closer than oh, dear. led on. So I, I think that one's are under... You, I'm sorry. Are you actually being a sore winner? <laughs> is that what's going on here? No. But uh, no, I'm not really worried about you know who would have won or lost the, the, the mm-hmm. first quarter court, or if we hadn't included that category. But uh, I did hear something very, very interesting. One of the comments in the first quarter court was that... Uh, they, the person voted for you and said, I don't expect John to last very long as the leader of his thingmen because Snorri's going to take him out. <laughs> to which you said, as long as you lead well, there won't be any problems. And I'm going to quote right. you here. If I lose the next quarter court, <laughs> then I may have some trouble with him. Right. So here we are. <laughs> I just want to say, John, look out. Well... I just want to say, Andy, that uh, given how much support you seem to have received from Russian bots and illegal <laughs> votes, uh, I think it's uh, fair to say that Snorri will see that we were robbed 
Yeah, you know, um, someone was and, posting things on the Facebook page, so I had no idea. It, it turns out they were coming from Vladivostok. An awful. <laughs> uh, but yeah, with the with the help of your friends in uh, Moscow. Oh, I don't know anyone in Russia. Uh, you see, I happen to know that Andy, that you spent two years in Russia as part of the Peace Corps. Uh, oh, that was so long ago. Late '90s, early 2000s, and uh, that. I'm pretty sure you stole some connections back that way. Oh, uh, I doubt it. But, uh... <laughs> Nyet, Nyet, Tavarish. Uh, yeah. Huh? <laughs> uh, so, you go ahead. You and your men can toast your victory in vodka. And, uh... Snorri and I will plot our revenge for the third quarter court. All right. Well, again, thanks, everyone. Uh, that was a really exciting uh, vote. It was fun to watch, uh, to spend that whole month checking the count every day. Um... It was hilarious. I had a blast. Yeah, of course you did. Uh, thanks very much, everybody. <laughs> yeah. All right. Uh, so now we move on to our next question, which came in essay form from uh, <laughs> our listener, Marianne. Yes. Um, she has a question about or- oral history and the sagas. Um, and I tried to condense some of this. Mm-hmm. She, she writes, I've been wondering how much the sagas are derived from an oral history. I had always assumed that the sagas were derived from a rich oral tradition and that someone eventually wrote them down so that they wouldn't be forgotten. So both she and Ken from Cornell are clearly interested in the question of oral history and saga right. literature. Now, I know we spoke about this a little in our first episode, but uh, it's probably a good idea for us to revisit this oral mm-hmm. versus written debate. Sure. What do you think, uh, John? All right. So, hi, Marianne. Um, I'm going to start by saying yes, as I left off with Ken. Uh, we use author as a term of convenience much of the time, just in the same way that we use reader as a term of convenience. Uh, but author also serves a very specific purpose. Uh, it's the person who commits a text to writing. Even if it's a long surviving oral story, right? That person still makes decisions about phrasing, about sequences in the story, about what is included and what isn't. Even um, about the, the moral or the agenda of the story. Of course. Uh, right. And whenever you have someone uh, reproducing uh, speech, right, that's obviously going to involve uh, work by the author. So that's why we added the noble witticism section. Right? Sometimes the best lines in a, in a saga are from elements of the story that were passed down, like the poetry, for example, but others are turns of phrase in the narration that most likely reflect authorial work. Well, and I think uh, if we look closely mm-hmm. even at the poetry, we find some of the poetry is something we can yes. suggest is passed down by looking at the the composition, the syntax, right. the, the the spelling of the words. But or a lot external of it, texts, right? When we find right. when you find poems that are being drawn from elsewhere. Yeah. But we also know that several of the poems, in fact most of the poems in the sagas, mm-hmm. are written by the contemporary thirteenth century or fourteenth century author. Uh, now, we've mentioned the book prose and free prose argument on the podcast a few times. Uh, in its briefest form, uh, book prosists argue that the sagas are formal narratives composed by writers who drew on legendary histories. Uh, free prosists argue that the sagas are oral narratives about remembered events shaped by writers who recorded them after generations of oral repetition. Mm-hmm. I know it's a hokey thing to say, but I think the truth lies somewhere in between. Uh, the nature of the saga shows clear evidence of being shaped into reiterated forms. Right? Uh, think of Jesse Bayok and the Fudim logic. Uh, but I don't see that as incompatible with oral storytelling. Uh, we all tell stories according to our preconceptions of narrative form. Right? If you're any kind of a decent storyteller, your stories have a beginning, middle, and end. And they build to a narrative climax. Right? They s- probably have certain qualities in common due to your perspectives and your beliefs about what makes a good story. Mm-hmm. So an oral story can still become a stylized and formal narrative without being divorced from oral transmission. But 
To return to the original question, yes, we talk about saga authors with a somewhat cavalier looseness about what we mean by the term. Uh, usually, we're referring to the person or people who created and recorded the saga with an emphasis on the scribe who wrote it down. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think uh, it's it's a big question. It's debated by a lot of scholars. And I think if mm-hmm. you want a good a good overview, I'm going to point you into two texts if you can find them at your local university library. You're definitely mm-hmm. not going to find them at your local library. But uh, if you look at the Rutledge Research Companion to the Medieval Icelandic Sagas, um, there's a whole chapter in there by uh, Pernil Herman called Literacy. And it explores this question of <laughs> saga literacy, the, the literacy of or the, the written versions versus the oral versions of mm-hmm. sagas. You could also look at Old Icelandic Literature and Society, which is edited by Margaret Clooney's Ross. And there's a chapter in there by Judy Quinn called From Orality to Literacy in Medieval Iceland, which uh, goes in more depth on exactly what we're talking about here. Right. Uh, I think the thing that I, I would I would leave you with, Marianne and Ken, is that whoever sat down to copy these things out, um, if you look very carefully at the composition of the sagas, they are very thoughtfully composed for the most part. I won't say every single one is the same, but what we have <laughs> is the hand of an author at work in constructing, working on structure, working on phrasing. Right. Um, so it is a it is a literary text, um, right. the things that we're working with. Um, I would say that's a, that's true of Beowulf as well, but that's a whole other argument. Yeah, and I would say the best scholarship uh, is scholarship that engages with uh, both sides of that, that doesn't fi- that doesn't tie down its argument to it must only be one or the other, but acknowledges that the history of these texts is a history that incorporates both oral and written traditions. Yes, exactly. I think she talks about in the question, I don't have it right mm-hmm. in front of me, but I think she talks about um, some of the, the, the fights that Grettir gets into. Uh, right, the fight exactly. behind the waterfall, for example. Mm-hmm. Um, there, there's definitely, there must be a folk tale or oral narrative that, that is passed down mm-hmm. through time that is incorporated into this story. Um, but it's an author who, uh, who is sitting down at a, at a desk to think carefully about how to incorporate it, where to incorporate it, and what it might mean. Excellent. All right. Final rating. So in the final rating section, we gave you the option to select your top three sagas of the last mm-hmm. ten that we've covered. Um, that includes Saga of Viglund the Fair, Vatnsdal Saga, Gretchen Saga, Saga of the Greenlander, Saga of Finbogi the Strong, Saga of the People of Rekdal and Kielerskuta, Njal Saga, the Saga of Thorstein the White, the Saga of the People of Vobdefort, and the Saga of Droplog's Sons. You... It's a good crowd. As a as a group, have ranked these in order from one to ten. Mm-hmm. How'd it come out, John? How'd we well, do? Uh, I think we're going to start at the bottom and work our way up. Uh, the tenth place finisher, uh, the saga of the people of Vopnafjord. Tenth uh, place. That's rough. And uh, the percentage is is pretty pathetic. I, we're not going to go yeah. through the percentages on all this one, but I just want to point out that this one got 0.7. Yeah, less than 8%. 0.7. That is tough. Yeah. But that one doesn't bother me. Uh-huh. The the one that came in ninth place does bother me. Which is? The Saga of Thorstein the White got at more than a percentage of a vote. It yeah. was 1.4. <laughs> Almost 1.5. Yeah. I, I suspect shenanigans, John. Who's? Who's voting for the Saga of Thorstein the White as a favorite saga? Who's the lobbying group out there? Who's the super PAC? Who's... <laughs> Trying to push Thorstein the White on the world. It might be Thorstein the Fair. He's a merchant. He gets around. He's like, have you heard about the saga of Thorstein the White? It's brilliant. Although I want to make the point that uh, when we were raiding Thorstein the White, 
of I actually rated that quite a bit higher than you because I said I, it did a good job of yeah. being the saga that it was. I think you maybe oversold it, uh, and and some gullible listener well, out there fell for it. Oh, gullible people! So if there's voted their conscience, sir, <laughs> how dare you denigrate that? Uh, well, well we I'm just going to say, say yes, that- they got. He got 1.45% of the vote, but that's still ninth place out of 10 sagas. Let's not sell this. If you're weighing Thorstein the White versus oh, people dear. of Vopnafjord, it's, it, there's no question that Vopnafjord is better. Come on, people. Uh, apparently, there is some question <laughs> uh, since uh, Thorstein the White doubled the vote of. Uh, All right. Who came in eighth? All right. Eighth place uh, The Saga of Viglund the Fair, the only happy ending among the Warrior Poet sagas. Yeah, I'm surprised that that one didn't get a little bit more. But again, it was long, that, long ago. Yeah, I think that may be that point you were making about how far back these are. But it's a good one. I I, I do like that one. Um, seventh place? Seventh place was the saga of the people of Reykjadal and Killer Skuta with only 3.8%. Oh, now that's a little disappointing. I would it expect is. it a little bit higher for that one. That was a now, fun this one. next one I find really surprising. The saga of the Greenlanders coming in sixth place. Yeah, so uh, do you think that we, should be higher or lower? Well, now you said that you thought that we, that I might have uh, skewed the voting on Thorstein the White, but both of us trashed the saga of the Greenlanders. Well, and as yet, a standalone text, it's just not that good. Well, right. And yet, it came in sixth place and got a total of 30 votes. Yeah, how does that saga get better than the saga of people of Rekudal and Kieluskuta? Well, this is my point. So I don't think yeah. our ratings mean a darn thing to our listeners. <laughs> I don't think so <laughs> I think either. that's clear. Wow. Disappointing. Uh-huh. So fifth um, place. All right, so in fifth place was, and this one disappoints me a little bit, mm. the saga of Droplog Sons. Does it? Now, yeah, well, we just got no, through I that one. About, so, I think that's about right, given what's, what, el- what else is still to come. Uh, you know what? That's a fair point. <laughs> I wasn't thinking about what's what's to come. It's a good saga, but you're right. I guess if you're picking your top three, that's not going to be in the top three of this group. Right. Because fourth place goes to the saga of Finboy the Strong. I think that's fair. Which is probably fair. Going back to that oral formulaic or oral history one, I think if you're looking for a saga in this group that is based on oral stories or folktales, yep. Finbog is Strong's yep. tops in that. Yeah, remember we talked about all those Cinderella elements and all those other fairy tale elements in yeah. the Finbog story, and it's a it's an interesting saga for that reason. I think that's uh, a good choice for fourth place. Now, what that means is that our top three are Vatnsdala saga, Greta's saga, and Njal's saga. I think it goes without saying that Vatnsdal saga is going to be number three. That's right. There's no way that's going to beat the other two. But Vatnsdal <laughs> saga, you know, I guess this contradicts our, our theory that uh, memory serves poorly. Right. Uh, because Vatnsdal saga did very well, and I think deservedly so. That's a great and saga. That's, and we covered that two years ago. So Yeah, uh, and that's so one well that done I, I voted for that one. I'm, I'm pleased to see that in third place with there you go. just 10% of the vote. Um, I did not vote for that one, but I, mm. I think it's, a, I think it's a, a fair choice anyway. Out of curiosity, um, what did you vote as number three? Um, well, well, you're assuming that I cast votes for the first two. Uh, uh, but I know. I mean, you'd be have to be out <laughs> of your mind not to pick Gretzier and Njal as your top two. Now, how you ordered them, I don't know. Mm-hmm. But who was number three? Uh, no, I honestly, I think it may have been Droplog. Interesting. Um, I'm trying to remember, but I think it may have been right. Okay. Uh, it was a while ago. I, I voted right away. So, you know, it was, uh, it's a while back. So here's the uh, thing. So yeah, we, we've, we've been talking left. in uh, in all the Scarpathen episodes. Mm-hmm. Scarpathen couldn't bring home the bacon, right? Right. Scarpathen right. was supposed to win those two categories. He yeah. lost. Nal Saga. Nal Saga has come always a bridesmaid, never a bride so far. But uh, in the final ratings category, mm-hmm. surely Nal Saga has what it takes. It's the but best we, picture. 
But we right? did this terrible thing. We we put it up against Greta's Saga, uh, another acknowledged classic. Um, Are you trying to hint that Greta's Saga won? I'm not saying anything. I'm just saying that unlike a lot of our other heavy hitters, we've really got two contenders this time. Yes, we do. And I think I do believe that the voting reflected just that. Yes. Uh, just uh, like Andy, the would theming. you care to reveal? Uh, would I care to reveal this? Well, I think it's quite a fascinating conclusion and it's a little bit controversial, <laughs> which indicates that Njal Saga did not win. That's or right. Or did it? Because Njal Saga and Gretcher Saga each got the same number of votes. That's right. And came in with 29.84% of the voting. It is a tie. <laughs> it is a tie. We have a tie uh, between our top two vote getters. Now, that is something we did not anticipate. No, we have absolutely no plan for this. So the question uh, now is, as we move to the fifth court in 40 years from now, right. <laughs> when we finally finish, who do we bring with us? Do we bring Gretzky right. Saga? And you also, do we have a runoff and find out which of the two is better? Or do we bring both of them? Do we divide the vote by pages or by body count? How do we decide? <laughs> do we put their uh, names in a hat and draw? No, I, I think, um, I mean, unless we decide that we want to cast a tiebreaker vote, which seems anti-democratic to me, um, I think we have to bring both of them forward uh, because they've both earned a spot. Neither one of them was defeated. Are there, I have just out of curiosity, having lived through many elections, are there any hanging chads we need to be aware of? I'm not aware of any hanging chads, although uh, I can't speak for the integrity of the voting machines. Uh, how do, what do we know about the people? could be all of your computers, you listeners. <laughs> <laughs> what do we know of the people voting from Florida? Do we trust them? <laughs> Fine, upstanding men and women of uh, of the Commonwealth. Well, as a, as a, as a, uh, a person who grew up in Florida, I can say that uh, I trust them with uh, all – no, I don't. No, I know people oh, from Florida. <laughs> oh, you are people from Florida. No, we're uh, going to bring both of them, right? Yeah, I think we have to. I think that sets up a really fascinating fifth court. If everything goes yep. the way I think it's going to go, that fifth court uh, decision on final ratings is going to be <laughs> a doozy. Yep. And having Gretcher uh, there is going to be – it's going to be fun. Yep. So that's great. Uh, so we'll bring forward two winners from this category. That's fun. Excellent, excellent. So, congratulations, Gretier and y'all. You Absolutely. will uh, meet in the fifth court. Excellent. Where all will be decided. Now, John, there is one more question I think we should answer. Okay. This one's kind of a fun one from uh, Stephanie McIntosh. Okay. She asks... Hi, Stephanie. Who would win in a fight? Gretier or Beowulf? <laughs> Hi, Stephanie. First of all... Um, you signed your note to us, uh, Stephanie McIntosh, the open-handed but stingy with chocolate, uh, which I thoroughly approve as a name. Uh, yes. Well done. Uh, now, as to the actual question, I want to thank you. This is exactly the kind of question I think should be asked of saga literature. I agree. Uh, now, to my mind, there are a couple of things to consider in answering this question. The first is to consider the feats of strength of each figure. Hold on. Stephanie, you couldn't have posed the question to a more qualified individual. <laughs> I hope you're Which in your car and your seatbelt is buckled. Right, absolutely. Go ahead, Please, John. Uh, tie your shoes extra tight so your <laughs> socks don't get knocked right through them. Uh, no, I, the first question is feats of strength. Uh, Beowulf can carry 30 suits of armor and tear the arm off a troll. Greta uh, he... can scale an unscalable cliff and drag an undead monster out of a house against its will. Both impressive. Uh, the second factor is to look at the toughest battles they win. Beowulf has Grendel, 
Grendel's mother, a pack of nine sea monsters, the entire Swedish army, and a dragon. In those battles, his record is four wins, no losses, and one tie. Grendel's greatest battles are against Glom, the hall-invading revenant, a massive troll woman, Carr, the barrow ghoul, a dozen Norwegian berserks, and a giant bear. Grenner wins all five bouts, but is cursed with a fear of the dark by Glaum. Uh, so Grenner's 5-0, and oh, but Beowulf's tie comes against a dragon, and he's over 70 years old at the time. And he, he's fine at night. He, he's not yeah, afraid of the dark. Yeah, he's fine at night. I think I'd have to give the edge to Beowulf on neutral turf, with a stronger edge if the battle is fought at night. Mm-hmm. On the other hand, in some of the cognate stories, Beowulf is a werebear. His name can be read as a kenning for bear. And we know that Gretter specializes in killing bears. Oh. So now I'm right back to middle ground on this one. <laughs> Come on now. I think you might be stretching a little bit here. I suspect I suspect that in ten bouts, Beowulf would win six. But I could easily be convinced of the opposite. Andy, where do you come down on this? I don't think she asked you in 10 bouts how, who's going to win more. <laughs> I think she asked in a fight who's going to win. Your answer is Beowulf. Uh, my answer is Beowulf, but I would not be shocked by either outcome. I got you. Well, uh, I think you've made things very easy for me because I don't have to go through any of that nonsense. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was simply going to say Beowulf because he's stronger. <laughs> well done. People like the strong silent type, Andy. Well That's done. right. Uh, it's definitely Beowulf. Come on now. Mm-hmm. I don't think there's any question. Oh, my way's more fun. <laughs> Your way was a lot more fun. And that's why I'm glad you, you got you uh, prepared for that answer. Well, excellent. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's it for the show results. Uh, were there any surprises for you that we haven't mentioned? Uh, apart from being shocked that I was robbed of the thing man vote, you mean? Well, robbed is a strong word. I think uh, <laughs> soundly defeated would be mm-hmm. appropriate. But uh, no, apart from I- that. Yeah, no, I really did think that was going to be a close vote, and it was. Uh, the biggest surprise to me has to be Helge Drop Lagerson winning, not just winning notable witticism for his I Was Never Beautiful line, but running away with the prize. Mm. Nearly 40% of the vote in a six-way race. Uh, how about you? Anything you weren't expecting? Uh, I was not expecting the results of the final uh, ratings. I, I really mm. thought that Njal Saga would run away with it handily. Mm-hmm. I knew that Gretchen would be close behind, but I figured he would be behind by at least 5%. Yeah, I'm less surprised. Uh, now, before we go, uh, I recall the last time we did one of these where we included recommendations for podcasts to try. Oh, yeah. Now, uh, we're both big consumers of podcasts in addition to producing this one, uh, and I know we've each got some favorites. Uh, did you have any you wanted to plug? Yes. You know what? I This time around, I want to really focus on some uh, more serious podcasts. All right. Um, I'm teaching a history of English language class, and I tweeted about this recently, but I, I love mm-hmm. listening to the History of English podcast. It's the oh, it's, yeah. a, it's a very, very thorough podcast about the history of the English language. It's very well put together. I, I recommend it if you're interested in that subject. And if you're mm-hmm. not, listen to it anyway, because I think you'll, <laughs> you'll, you'll learn so many fascinating facts. Um, mm-hmm. I also listen to um, In Our Time with Melvin Bragg. I like uh, that one a lot. Mm-hmm. Have you ever heard of that one? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a yeah, BBC one. It goes through yep. major texts and major figures in history and, and literature. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, I like quite, it when he gets cranky with the uh, people he's interviewing. Oh, it's my favorite thing. I, I think I was... <laughs> it's because he's trying to control the pacing of it that mm-hmm. he'll cut off someone like Miri Rubin. Right. Like, yes, 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 yes. On to the next thing. We're not talking about that right now. <laughs> yes, exactly. It, it's it's brilliant. <laughs> um, so if, you're, you haven't, if you're a literature person and you haven't been listening to Melvin Bragg's In Our Time from the BBC, you should be listening to that. Mm-hmm. Um, I also listen to Medieval Death Trip quite frequently because he oh, looks yes. into the, the chronicles um, and the histories and all these obscure, really beautiful, wonderful episodes and the production values pretty good on that as well um outside of medievally stuff i listen to criminal um from npr it's mm-hmm. a it's a good podcast and uh lately i just started listening to uh something called Bondcast, uh which oh it, yeah it reviews the uh james bond movies because i started mm-hmm. uh, doing that same thing with my daughter and i thought hey is there a, a podcast out there that does this um <laughs> and they have you know categories that they look at kind of mm-hmm. like we do um and I'm, i've been having a lot of fun listening to that and going through the bond movies with uh, with my daughter that's great. What are you listening to? Uh, well, I mean, as usual, I'm listening to mostly history stuff. Um, mm-hmm. I spent a month or so working my way through a history of the world of 100 objects from the BBC. Uh, it's a few years old, uh, and it's recordings of uh, short radio programs. I just got around to listening to it. There's some fascinating stuff in there. It's a mix of topics that I know fairly well and things I know absolutely nothing about. Awesome. Uh, but both kinds of episodes were great and taught me something. Um, I've also been listening to the Viking Age podcast and Totalis Rankium for my fixes for the North Sea and Mediterranean worlds, respectively. Absolutely. Uh, those are both a lot of fun. Uh, and obviously, I'm still an avid listener of Rex Factor, uh, which is actually now getting to the end of their second season as they cover the Scottish kings up to James VI. Yeah, I can't believe they're finishing a second season and we're That's just amazing. now finishing the 20th saga. Uh, they they have a kind of dedication that I hope to someday admire. Um, you could admire it without much effort. That's you right, without ever imitating it. Uh, <laughs> I've also started listening to Sawbones, which is a medical history podcast. Uh, yeah, I mentioned hosts, that one last time at the uh, first yeah, quarter. Yeah, um, the hosts occasionally fall into the trap of treating the Middle Ages as a backward time, which is usually a deal breaker for me. But the rest of the show is so interesting and so much fun that I'm willing to overlook it. Um, Definitely. Their first episode was on trepanation or skull surgery, and they've covered everything from leprosy and left-handedness to reanimation and self-surgery. There's so a great one uh, of, of Sawbones about poison ivy that I, I really like. Oh, gee. Yeah, I haven't gotten to that one yet. Yeah. Uh, now, for entertainment, I'm listening to uh, the Star Wars Minute, uh, which is a podcast. What a surprise. To, yeah. You know, I, wouldn't, I uh, wouldn't have suspected that. Of course not. Uh, they're actually listening to the entire Star Wars film franchise one minute at a time and doing a podcast episode on each minute. Uh, which is just what are, there must be minutes where there's no dialogue. In that Absolutely. Oh no, they they the first couple of minutes for each movie is just them talking about the opening credits. Now, uh, are there yeah. like I assume that they they look at landscape stuff and talk about landscape when there's no no dialogue as well? Is that something? They talk about everything. They talk about the actors, uh, the stories behind the actors who are playing the different roles. They've got an ongoing a running joke about Paul Treatum, the uh, the guy who's running the booth where they call uh, TK four two one. Why aren't you at your post? TK four two one. Why don't you copy um, that actor who recently passed away? Actually, um, okay. So, yeah, that's no, great fun. Um, R.I.P. I still listen to The Flop House, which Andy got me started on, uh, uh-huh. which is a bad movie podcast. Uh, it's a slightly drunker version of Mystery Science Theater 3000. Uh, and it's actually co-hosted by the head writer for the new series new series for MST3K. Uh-huh. Uh, and I've been listening to Kurt Vonnegut's. Uh, oh, is what is that? Two, it's two uh, brilliant and well-read comedians working their way through all the novels of Kurt Vonnegut. Why don't I know uh, about that? Thank you. It's very fantastic. Much. Uh, it's spelled uh, V O N N E G U Y S. Uh, if you're a fan of Vonnegut, all you should be listening to it. Uh, That's great. 
Yeah, it's really good. Well, uh, and like last time, I'll put up links to all of these podcasts uh, in the in the episode. Uh, yeah. This actually, this episode is going to come with a lot of links because we have some scholarship that we need to put up. That's a good point. Um, but I'll put links to these podcasts as well. Sounds like a little bit of work for you. Um, Always is. Yeah, and uh, I think it does, about does it for mine. All right, excellent. Once again, thanks to those who voted or commented. We'll be starting the third quarter of our exploration of the Sagas of the Icelanders in December. Uh, but don't think that we're taking a break in the meantime. <laughs> We've actually got a few Paris episodes planned over the next few weeks on different topics. Uh, I mentioned that we we're going to be interviewing Charlotte Hedenstierna Johnson. And we also have uh, an interview coming up with uh, a bow specialist, Patricia Gonzalez. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, we're looking forward to that as well. So look for those in the coming months. In addition to that, at the beginning of November, John and I will be traveling to Seminole State College in Sanford, Florida, where we'll be giving a lecture on Thor. Uh, in conjunction with the release of Thor Ragnarok, we're going to be talking about the history of Thor, uh, his place in mythology, what mm-hmm. kind of character he is, and what he represents to the cultures that right. uh, worshipped him. Uh, that is going to be at Seminole State College in Sanford, Florida on November 7th. So uh, if you're in that area, uh, think about stopping by. It's going to be in the afternoon. Uh, where exactly? I don't know. Uh, <laughs> and we're also in the process of putting together an episode for the start of the fifth season of Vikings. All that's coming up in the next month, um, and we've got other episodes planned as well. We'll be talking about more about those in the next few weeks on social media. And then we'll be right back into our exploration of the sagas. So until then, let us know what you thought of the voting results. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, should Greta or Nial have won the top spot in the final rankings? Are you as pleased as John that Thorgir Buttering won best nickname? And do you think John got robbed in Thingman? I think we all know the answer to that one. Someone call the cops. (laughs) Uh, As always, you can also be in touch to ask us a question about the sagas or to let us know what you're working on. We can be reached through our social media accounts on Facebook, where we're Saga Thing Podcast, or on Twitter, where we're Saga Thing Pod. Or on our blog, sagathingpodcast.wordpress.com, or through email at Uh sagathingpodcast at gmail.com. Thanks again for playing along, everyone. I can't believe we're halfway through. Uh, just to, so you know, uh, yep. back when we were doing the first quarter court, we said mm-hmm. there's only so many more sagas. We should be done in about two years at this rate. <laughs> it's been two years since our <laughs> the quarter court, and we're only halfway through. Well. Uh, so there's still 20 more to go. Miles to go before we sleep. Yeah, that's a cheery note to end on. That's how we roll. <laughs> now, thanks, everyone. Thanks for listening. We'll be back soon. Bye for now. That's fine. You, you backed up. You tried the three-point turn. You, you still ended up going down the street. It still clanged <laughs> off the uh, the rim. What are you going to do? <laughs>